0: With that said, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 11. <clears throat> Mark chapter 11. And we, we, we left Jericho last week, and we are headed up. Uh, we were headed up that last climb into Jerusalem. And we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry this week. I know we're a couple weeks after Easter, but it's just the way it worked with our study. So Mark chapter 11. Immediately, And they went a- away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Verse 7, and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that had, they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And God, we just pray that you would open it up to our minds and our hearts, Lord. Let us receive it, and then God, let us go do it. Father, your word is living and active, and we look forward to the change that you're going to make in our lives as we study it, as we take it in. Lord, you will conform us to the likeness of your Son. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And now, just to set the scene right, it was common as all the pilgrims went into Jerusalem for Passover. Two times a year, the pilgrims were required to come back. People, Jews were re- required to come to the temple and offer sacrifices. And Passover was one of those times. And as, as all the, the people are coming back towards the temple, and, uh, and they, they climb up, and it's always going up towards Jerusalem. You're always going up to Jerusalem because it's a climb. They would sing songs. There were liturgical hymns that they would sing, and these can be found Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. These were the songs that they would sing, and, and they would sing these songs, and they would recite these things as they walked up, and so you can imagine the crowds just kind of streaming into Jerusalem, and with it comes Jesus. Now, before he, he gets on this colt, there's an interesting prophecy that he makes, and this is all to fulfill Zechariah 9.9, and we'll read that scripture in just a minute, but he tells the disciples, go get this colt. Go into the town, and immediately as you enter it, you'll see this colt tied up. Bring it to me. And, and if someone asks you, why are you untying it, tell them our Lord has need of it, and we'll bring it back immediately. So the disciples go and do. And that's the key thing I want you to recognize, first of all, in this passage, is they went and did exactly as the Lord told them to do it. Now, just think for a moment. This is kind of a challenge, I don't know about you, but if I put myself in the place of the disciples and Jesus said, hey, there's a colt tied up, and go get it. And yeah, you don't know these people. They're total strangers. And if they ask you, why are you stealing my colt? Why are you taking it? Why are you untying it? Just tell them the Lord has need of it, and he will bring it back. And they're going to just say, cool, and you're going to bring it. (laughs) And I know know about you that uh, this would be a challenge for me. It would be a, a, a step out in faith to do this. In fact, I would even be tempted to try to figure out an easier way to explain the situation. Well, you know, um, you know, you've heard of Jesus, right? Well, Jesus is here, and and he needs to borrow it. And trust me, oh, Jesus is awesome, and all. I, I would try to add all these words to it and explain it so that it sounded more appropriate. That's what I would do. I mean, I have trouble sometimes when I'm when I'm doing something for the church asking people to give us discounts. I'm like, hey, would you mind maybe giving us a discount since it's for a church? You know what the amazing thing is? Most businesses give us discounts if you ask. Say, hey, this is for a church. Would you mind giving us a discount? Sure. They'll at least knock off 10% usually. It's, It's actually pretty incredible. But for some reason, I'm embarrassed to do that every time, let alone to walk up and say, I'm taking this car with me. Um, So the Lord has, you know, I'm taking this colt. Yet they go and do it, and I want to tell you, the blessing comes in our obedience. The blessing comes in our obedience. When we are obedient to the Lord, when we do as the Lord says, you will receive the blessing. The problem is, is we we have trouble sometimes with faith. We have trouble to... And by the way, when I say we have trouble with faith, I don't mean we have trouble in blindly believing. We have trouble in trusting the person that tells us to do. That's where our faith goes into crisis. We have trouble believing that the Lord really will indeed honor his promises or honor his word. And so we get into this crisis and then we try to figure out how we're going to do this, how we're going to make this happen, how we're going to do it by our strength. Again, I refer back to the sound system. We got a quote, $80,000. By the way, that $80,000 quote for the sound system came with a $75,000 electrical rewire that we had to do also. That's a lot of money. I, I don't know about you, but I don't, we don't have that kind of money. This isn't a huge church. It's just church. And I know that God can provide, but sometimes God doesn't provide the way we think. And trust me, in the elder board, we talked a lot about the quote. We talked about, and if some of you elders are in here, you remember this. We talked about, well, maybe we should take out a loan. Well, no, maybe we shouldn't. No, we should wait. No, our church has never had debt like this. We, we don't want to go into debt over that. We should wait on the Lord. And there's all lots of talk going back and forth about what to do. Always. We, 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 and, and prayerfully, all these men are godly men. And we're all seeking the Lord, and we all want to do what honors the Lord. But again... Sometimes when we are in a crisis of faith, we don't really wait upon the Lord, we look to our own means to deliver us. And I'll tell you right now, the blessing comes when we wait upon the Lord, when we're obedient to do what he says to do. Young people, sometimes it's a challenge to do things the way God tells you to do them. Sometimes it's a challenge to say, no, yeah, it's not right for us to to live together before marriage. We need to get married first. But you know, the world says the exact opposite. The world says, oh no, live together. You know what? You can't have a happy marriage unless you've, you've really checked each other out, figured out if you're compatible. By the way, do you know that more marriages are more likely to fail if the couple lives together prior to marriage? Isn't that an interesting uh, thing? That marriages are more likely to fail if the couple live together first. And you know what, you know what the deal is? Here's what it is. Because you're looking for someone to meet your expectations, you're not looking to serve the other one. You're looking at what you're going to get, not what you're going to give in marriage. And so we need to do what the Lord says. The Lord says, wait for marriage. The Lord says, keep yourselves pure. The Lord says, honor me, and then and I will bless you and it will be good and you will you will <laughs> you you'll be blessed beyond belief, but we're like, oh Lord, I don't know if you really know about this. I don't really know if you know how to provide my income. Lord, I, I really don't know how to, you know, I I would love to go to church, I would love to worship with other believers, but hey, I've got to work and I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't take the time off. Do you realize if you say, Lord, I need a day to worship you, and I also need your provision for income. Just wait on the Lord. Let him provide. I have never once been disappointed by God. I have disappointed God plenty of times in my life, but I have never once been disappointed by him when I trust in him. So that's what the disciples did well. They they were obedient. They did exactly as the Lord said. And look at what the blessing was. They get to be a part of this triumphal entry. They get to go with Jesus. People start grabbing the palm branches and throwing it down. They're singing Hosanna in the highest. And now Hosanna means the Lord save. It means save us. That's literally what it means, save us. And, And so the idea is the Lord save us. And blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father, David. Hosanna in the highest. This triumphal entry. Jesus on this little colt. Now, an interesting thing about this prophecy, if you'll turn with me to Daniel 7.13 real fast, and uh, I'll put it up here. This is what Daniel 7.13 said about Messiah. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So this one has Jesus the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. Now let's go to Zechariah 9:9. Or uh, is it yeah, 9:9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey on the col- on a colt The full of a donkey. Now, some rabbinical writings about these two passages. One very popular one, if Jesus did, would say that if God is pleased with Jerusalem, if he's pleased with Israel, if he's pleased with the Jews, he will come upon the clouds. But if he is not pleased with the Jews, if he's not pleased with Israel, he'll come on a donkey. See, they had completely misinterpreted these, these prophecies. And sometimes when we look at prophecy, we're like, well, wait, it says that, but it says that. Of course, now we look back and see, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring salvation. He didn't come to conquer Romans. He came to bring salvation. He came that all peoples would be able to worship him. That all peoples could be reconciled to him through his death on that cross. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came to, he stepped out of heaven. He became a man So that you and I would have the opportunity to be reconciled to him. So that you and I would understand what it means to have a clean conscience before God. So that you and I would know what it means to be clean of sin. And made right with our Father in heaven. And with that, being used for the right purpose. Do you know that you were created with purpose? I went and saw Tim Hawkins last night. And... uh, T- he does a bit. Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian. He was over at Calvary Church Santa Ana. And, man, uh, anyone who went, we were rolling laughing. He he was really funny. But he did one little bit where he talked about um, atheist churches because they do have atheist churches. And I really don't know why. I'm not, I'm not sure why they do it because it just seems like kind of a pointless thing. Uh, maybe just to give, I, I've heard that they give seminars or, you know, things like that. But I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, he was making a joke about what kind of songs do they sing at atheist, in Atheist Sunday School. You know, and, and gee, no one loves the little children. <laughs> it was just like, oh my goodness, this is a terrible thing. Uh, <laughs> there's no hope. <laughs> like, anyway, it, it was just uh, a really sad thing. But you know, atheism, and maybe there are some in here tonight that hold to this view, that ascribe to this view of atheism and I want to challenge you because the, the fact is, the simple fact about this belief that, that there is no purpose in life, there is no God, is actually a terribly depressing worldview. What I mean by that is it is a view that leads you to the understanding that eventually this universe and all that it was, is in it will slowly grow cold and dark and cease to exist, which means your, your life, everything you've done, all of human history in the end, was pointless and futile because it just led to a cold, dark solar system. There's no hope there. There's no purpose there. But the simple fact is, is God tells us something very different in his word. He tells us that we were created with purpose in mind. We were created to bring him glory, that he alone is our ultimate goal and purpose in life, to know him, to, to have relationship with him, and in that purpose, we find that we, we, uh, we will honor him, that we will, life changes when we're in that purpose. When we understand that trials and pain, sickness, things in this life that, that tear us apart, we realize God's got this under control. God will be my peace. God will deal with this. And in the end, God will give me a whole new body altogether. And, and this life here, yeah, this life is important. My family is important. My friends are important. This life is important. But there is ultimately another life that I am living for, and it is much greater than, um, than this life. It is the purpose. So Jesus here, the, the people are crying out, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Yet some of the Jews felt like, well, no, no. He's got to come on the clouds, and, and that passage here in Daniel uh, that we just read, we, let me go back to Daniel 7, 13. There it is. Um, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came out one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And Jesus will come on the clouds. That's coming. It's yet to come. We're waiting for that. He will come back, and he even prophesied it. The New Testament prophesies it. We see it in the book of Revelation. Jesus will come in the clouds. That's at his second coming. That's when he's going to establish his kingdom. But make no mistake, his first coming was to go to the cross. For you, for me, for mankind. It was not to serve uh, the purpose of just establishing a kingdom and overthrowing some Romans. It was a much bigger purpose, a much grander purpose. And notice what he does. He walks into the temple, and he looks around at everything, but he decides to go back to Bethany with the twelve. Now, Bethany is about a mile away from Jerusalem. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, had an inspection at your house. Um, We... Every now and then, we get fire inspectors who call and say, Hey, we're coming to inspect on this day. And it's like, ah, panic around the church. Like, we got to get everything, make sure we're good. Because a fire inspector has the ability to say, No one can come here, right? And that's kind of a big deal on Sundays. And it's especially a big deal if it's Christmas Eve. And uh, we, this year, on Friday, uh, they, on the Friday before Christmas Eve, they said, Hey, a, a fire inspector's coming. Get ready. And Corey calls me and she's like, hey, the fire inspector is coming on Friday. We're like, ah, because if it's on Friday and then we have Christmas Eve, then you, if they shut you down and close everything up, then you can't uh, have Christmas Eve because you can't get them to come back out. So we were like kind of panicking a little bit. Uh, and there's not like it's not like we have like, I don't know, things that would explode in the courtyard or anything like that. But, but still, it just makes you, anytime there's someone with authority who can close things down, it makes you nervous when they come. It's like going to the tax, for uh, going get your taxes done at tax season, right? How many of you guys go in there and knowing the, the, the history, my wife and I, every year we get a return, but every year we go in and like, oh Lord, please, please help us, help, help us not to pay anything this year. And we're like, yes, we got money back. It was a good thing. And this happened every year of our marriage, but we still hope for it. You know, it's like, a, Um well, anyway, the fire inspector came and they gave us a few things to fix, um, no big deal. And then they said, well, here, you know, call us by February 1st and, and, uh, and we'll come back out and let us know. Well, they never actually even came back out. They just wanted us to sign saying we did these things and dropped it off. But with the knowledge of this inspector coming, we're going around and I'm t- okay, make sure this is gone. Make sure, hide the propane tanks next to the barbecue. You know, anything that possibly could be flammable, just get rid of it <laughs> and, um, And uh, everything went well. Well, you know, Jesus here is coming into his temple, the one who has authority, and he's looking around. What's happening in the temple? Now, we're going to get back to that. First, he goes back to Bethany, the text tells us. Then on the following day, let's look at Mark 11, verse 12. On the following day... <clears throat> when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Let me just pause there for a minute. When we read this story, this is one of those stories in the Gospels that we're just like, that's messed up. Like, what did the tree ever do to you? And we we automatically personalize the tree, and we make this like tree is like, you know, the poor tree. Jesus just walked by and said, "You're done." Boom. And you know, we're going on like, oh, poor tree, you know. And and uh, actually, commentators wrestle wrestle with this passage. In, in fact, I've ever even heard some commentators try to figure out why this passage doesn't even belong in the Gospels, which. That doesn't make sense. Just because something's hard, let's figure out how to take it out. That doesn't make sense. I've heard commentators say, you know, this is the most perplexing thing, and we have no idea why Jesus did this. And I want to I tell you, I think there's a much more simpler answer. And I think Mark purposely puts this, uh, this story in because he's going to sandwich it in to Jesus cleansing the temple. And I, here's the point. Jesus was hungry but Jesus isn't just going to say, hey, I'm hungry. Jesus uses his hunger to give an illustration to the disciples, to teach them a lesson. Uh, and, and understand this, the disciples know that it's not time, the time of year for the fruit. Mark even says it. Mark says, um, it was not the season for figs. So Mark knows this, oh oh, of course Mark wasn't there, but but Peter is probably relaying this to Mark and Mark was writing this down. They know that it's not the season for figs. So right away the disciples are going to try to figure out, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? What was that all about? I don't know, Thomas. You got any idea, John? I don't know. But they're on their way to the temple. And I'll tell you right now what it is. The fig tree is that symbol of Jerusalem. And the fig tree that bears no fruit is pointless. And right now, as we're getting ready to go into Jerusalem, we're going to see a, a nation, a nation who made a covenant with God, who bears no fruit. And we're going to see that they're, they're, uh, they they will be withered. Verse 15, let's look at Mark eleven fifteen. And they came to Jerusalem... And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, "It is not. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. You know, in Sunday school, I kind of look at Jesus as Mr. Rogers with a beard. You know, I was actually showing uh, Elise and Claire the other morning who Mr. Rogers was, because there was a reference to him. They were uh, were like, who's Mr. Rogers? like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna show you. <laughs> it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. He comes home. Those of you guys who are old enough to know who Mr. Rogers is. He, Mr. Rogers would come home singing, "Won't you be mine?" And he's putting on his, he's taking off his coat, putting on his cardigan, buttoning it up, taking off his shoes, putting on his house slippers, picking up his little cat, petting it. Hey everyone. Welcome, friends. You know, Mr. Rogers, and uh, and I was showing the girls Mr. Rogers, and they're like, "This is boring." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> you kids today!" <laughs> it was pretty boring. I <laughs> gotta Mr. Rogers with a machine gun would be better, right? No, anyway, but uh, <laughs> <yeah>. so. <laughs> In Sunday school, we kind of get this image that Jesus is Mr. Rogers with a beard, you know. It's like, hey, little children, come on over. But I'll tell you right now, Jesus was no pushover, not at all. And Jesus' house, his house, his God's temple was to be, it was created for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring the people to God through worship. That was the purpose of it. But they had twisted this purpose. The temple had become a, a, a great business, especially for the high priest and the high priest's family. He had it dialed in. Uh, people would bring out a lamb, and they say, all right, here's my lamb. I'm ready to sacrifice. Oh, you know what? This lamb does not meet the quality expectation. You know, God won't accept this lamb. Here, you're going to have to buy one of our lambs, and it's about double the price. Oh, the, the, and by the way, God always made provision for the poor to worship. If a person didn't have the money for a lamb, they could bring a pigeon. If they didn't have money for a pigeon, they could bring some meal or grain or some oil. God always provided provision for people to worship him. He always did that. The poor would bring their small pigeon. No, I'm sorry, this pigeon, uh, this has a defect. It can't be sacrificed. Here, why don't you buy one of our pigeons? Our pigeons are, are, well, you know, it's three times the price, so you're going to have to just suck it up and pay it. That was what the temple had turned into. And, and by the way, the money changers, there were different coins throughout Galilee, but it was only the temple coin that was accepted at the temple. So any money you bring to the temple, well, if you're going to give this an offering to God, you've got to give it in this coin. So, and yeah, there's an exchange fee for that. They were making hand, they were making money, hand and fist, off the worship of God's people. And God will not tolerate that. That is not okay. And so Jesus comes in, he inspected it the first day, left one back to Bethany, came back the second day, and started tearing it up, overturning the temples. Now this wasn't a fit of rage on Jesus' part. It was a cleansing. That's really what it was. And that's why our Bibles often give the title, Cleansing the Temple. Because that's what was happening. Jesus was saying, you guys have so twisted worship. You've, you've taken it so much out of the context, and you've made it about your gain. You've made it about, you, you've put obstacles in front of the people so they cannot reach me. And he started tearing it up. God wants you to meet him. God wants you to worship him. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. That's the purpose. And by the way, on a a personal level, have you noticed in the Bible, any time we abuse the purpose of what something is created for, we find it to be sin? Like, for instance, sex. Sex was created for a purpose. That purpose was for a married couple. It was designed for within the marriage, but yet we abuse it. We take it out of the context of its purpose, its creation, and we find it sin. You see that all throughout in moral sins in the Bible. When you take God's creation and you twist it for a purpose that it wasn't created for, you're gonna find you're in sin. You're outside of worship. You've left behind the worship of God and started doing your own thing. You're lifting yourself up. You're elevating yourself to the place of God, saying, God, you know, I know you created this, but I'm gonna redesign it for my purposes. And we don't ever wanna do that. And here at the temple... The people were being abused. They were being taken advantage of. And Jesus, as his his, uh, method always was, he quotes scripture. He always uses scripture for his authority. Because you know that they're going to ask, and next week we'll see that. They ask, by what authority are you doing this? he says, he quotes first from Isaiah, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what this was designed for. House of prayer. It wasn't designed for bingo nights. It wasn't designed no, and by the way, I'm not saying anything about churches that have bingo nights and whatnot. But we have to understand what what the purpose of the church is for. The purpose of the church is to advance the gospel. It's to bring people closer to God. It's to disciple. If a church loses that purpose, it's a social club. Turn it into a club. Do something else with it. Because it's no longer fulfilling the purpose that you and I were created for as far as church goes. Making disciples of all nations. I love Pastor Rod. One time he said this, and I'll never forget it in a sermon. He talked about, you know, if this church ever fails to, uh, quits preaching the gospel, let's turn it into a car wash so at least something gets cleaned. That's a great quote. (laughs) The church has a purpose, and the church building uh, that the church meets in has a purpose, And it should be used for a house of prayer, for a house of worship, for communion with God. It should help people grow in the Lord. That's what we want this place to be used for. We, we, We want to always use it for preaching the gospel, fulfilling those purposes which it was created for. Now, here's the cool thing about the New Testament. The Jews had to worship at the temple. They had no other place to go. The New Testament church, we go get a an industrial building, a house, an a, a, a awning, whatever it is, and amazingly, the Holy Spirit is there with the church, and it becomes church. It's awesome. We're not tied into a building. And by the way, if you're looking to feel more spiritual within a building, it's not the building, it's the believers. It's just this is where we meet. This is where we, we, we use to say we've set apart for the glory of God. So Jesus corrects them, and he says that, <clears throat> that you've turned it into a den of robbers. You're, you're, and and that's a, this is a quote from Jeremiah. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Isn't it crazy? They were so caught up in their new purposes, their redesign of what they were going to use God's temple for, They were so caught up in their version of religion that they took threat at the real deal. When they saw Jesus, they they were feared him because the people listened to his teaching because he taught with authority. Man, that's happening today. I'll tell you right now, the message of the gospel is offensive. Always has been, always will be. I know it's kind of weird, right? This message that God loves you so much that. He came and he died on your behalf because you've got a sin problem, a sin issue. You've broken God's laws and you are lacking. You you don't meet the requirement. Wow. You you don't meet the requirement. You're not good enough. Wait, I'm not good enough? No, you're not good enough. By the way, you all know that. You already know that you've sinned at some point in your life. You've done something to offend God, you've twisted God's laws or principles. I don't have to tell you that. You know you've done wrong in your life. We all do. Mine started out when I started stealing the frosting off my mom's cakes. We know we've sinned. And God loves us so very much that he sent his very own son to die on our behalf. To take the penalty of our sins for us so that we could be cleansed. That's an offensive message, is it not? Not? Well, no, that doesn't sound so offensive. Here's where the offensive part comes in. It's time for you to repent. It's time for you to turn from your sin. You cannot have the gospel without repentance. Repentance is a necessary part of the gospel message. And I'll tell you right now, the church is trying to do away with repentance and there's a lot of churches out there that are going, well, you know, oh, welcome. Oh, just come on in. Oh, you're fine. Just listen. Oh, Jesus accepts you just as you are. I mean, the, part of those are true, but they've, they've turned it into the social gospel where let's not even talk about Jesus. Let's just give out food to the homeless. That's not the gospel message. Listen, I, I think it's good for us to give out food to the homeless I think it's good to care for people. I think it's good to build hospitals for people. I think it's good to give education to people. These are all good things and these are all products of the Christian worldview. These are all products of Christian dumb. Caring for people, loving, giving donations, charities, giving aid. For instance, uh, and I forgot to mention this earlier until I said this. We're taking an offering right now for Nepal. We're going to be sending an offering to Nepal for aid work. And if you do want to give something towards Nepal, just write that in the memo portion of your check and, and we'll put it, put it in the offering box and that'll be set apart. These things are all good things. But if we so focus on the social gospel that we never share the actual gospel, that we have sinned, that we've fallen short of the glory of God and we need a savior, people will maybe have a little bit better life, but they sure won't know eternity They'll never know what it means to be reconciled to God. They'll never know what it means to have a clean conscience. They'll never know what it's like to have that eternal life. And that is really the point of this life. The point of this life is not to to just have a fuller belly one day. The point of this life is to know God, to live for the next life. So if you turn your church into a place where it's just about the social gospel you're not doing the, what the actual gospel requires. And it will require repentance. And that's the offensive part of the gospel. You mean I have to change? Yeah, you've got to change. Yeah, you've got to turn. Yeah, you may have to move out of the living situation you put yourself in. Yeah, you may have to give up drugs. Yeah, you may have to start honoring your mother and father. Yeah, you may have to leave a lifestyle behind that God says is sinful. Yeah, you may have to do that. Recently, I was, uh, this past Thursday, in my apologetics class at School of Ministry, um, I was challenging our, our the guys in there, and there's two right here, so they, they were part of this challenge. Um, I was challenging them. I said, um, I, you know, I gave them the scenario because this actually has happened to me. Um, a, a homosexual man comes to you and asks him to meet with you. And he says, um, Pastor, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. And you say, yeah, sure. I'd love to hear your questions. Let's sit down. And he says, um, what do you believe about homosexuality? And that's your—that's what I want you guys to answer. How are you going to answer that person? And I gave him time. I said, all right, guys, go ahead and take some time. Think about how you would answer this person. And uh, it was funny because um, most of the guys at first, they were trying to be really politically correct and really just oh yeah I just want to make sure you know that I love you and I challenged them I said well what about the gospel message well we just start coming to church you know eventually you'll hear it no what about am- God has taken somebody maybe it's a co-worker maybe it's a friend who you've been in the exact same situation he takes somebody and he puts them in front of you and says hey tell me what you believe and you're going to say I love you I'm going to, hey, have you ever thought about the dinosaurs in the Bible? And you start skirting around the issue when you know what the person's really asking. Will God accept me in my sin? Can I can I just continue living the way I am and be welcomed by your God? That's what the person's really asking. And and it's a big deal right now in our culture because of all the things going on. But, but can you imagine if somebody who... Uh, Can you imagine if a prostitute came up to you and asked you the same question? Hey, what do you believe about prostitutes? Would you skirt around the issue the same way? Or would you tell them, you know what I believe? I believe Jesus loved prostitutes. And I believe when Jesus met with a prostitute one time, he said, there's no one here that condemns you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's what Jesus said to the prostitute. It doesn't get more loving than that, but there's still that call to repentance. And the gospel requires repentance. And it's gonna it's gonna be costly sometimes. So if you're in here this morning, this evening, wow. Should not put that in my notes. <laughs> uh, I want to give you that same opportunity to be moved into the place of purpose in your life, created to worship God, created to be reconciled to him. But you know what? It's going to take repentance. You've got to say, all right, Lord, I'm done with the way I've been going. I'm ready to follow you. And maybe maybe you've been a Christian for a while, or you're a so-called Christian, but you're carrying sin with you. And you're, you have been willing to let it go, and I want to challenge you tonight to let it go, turn from that sin and say, "Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I'm ready to go and sin no more. I'm ready to leave it behind. If, you, if you're in that place tonight, and you want to be reconciled, if you want to know your purpose, I just want you to pray with me. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much that you designed the perfect plan for our salvation. God, we're ready and willing to be obedient to you. And Lord, if if you're in this room tonight and you're ready to ask God for forgiveness, just pray this. Pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me. I confess my sin to you. Lord, I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. Please come into my life. Lord Jesus, I'm ready to be a follower of you. Help me to make the choices I need to make. Help me to change my life. Help me to bring glory to you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.